This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Invisible Asia podcast, a series in which The Straits Times casts the spotlight on little seen or talked about segments of society across the region. I'm your narrator, Janing Tan. Hong Kong's Silent Outsiders. Stephen is a Hong Konger. He is a white-collar professional who deals with lawyers at work. As a child, he studied at the international schools that the children of Hong Kong's rich and elite attend. Today, the 33-year-old lives with his fiancée and their dog in a two-bedroom rented flat in one of the city's wealthier neighborhoods. By most standards, society would peg him as a well-educated, promising young man. And yet, Stephen says it's notoriously difficult to find willing landlords to rent out their flats to him. On his daily commute to work, on the bus or train, there's always an empty seat beside him. On any regular night out, he would be stopped for checks by patrolling police officers. Stephen says it's because of the color of his skin. His family moved to Hong Kong from India when he was just eight. Some years ago, Stephen was even accused of stealing while picking up his belongings after saving a man who had collapsed on the street from a seizure. He says, That would have been, what, 2015, 2016? So yeah, basically just, you know, kind of, uh, I think it was like office Christmas party. Uh, we were all going for lunch in the middle of the afternoon, uh, central. And uh, as we're going there, there was this guy who was having a seizure. And you know, he was kind of threw, threw up his arm and he was going down. And it, was, it seemed pretty severe. So obviously, me and a couple of my colleagues, we went down to help him. He went down and I used my wallet just because, um, you know, just things you see on TV, whatever else, so they don't bite their tongue off. Um, so I put the wallet in the, in the mouth so that you can stop him from biting it. And as we're doing that, you know, other, other kind of strangers came down to help out as well. Uh, eventually, the cops showed up. The situation looked like it was, you know, getting under control and, and then, you know, just went to grab my wallet and start, started to walk away. And so as soon as I started to walk away, the cops started yelling at me, being like, hey, you're stealing his wallet, you're stealing his wallet. And uh, it took my, my, my colleagues from Hong Kong to actually speak to the Cantonese and be like, no, what are you doing? Like, you know, he was there helping the person out and, uh, you know, he's not stealing anything. He's just trying to do that. And I mean, it may not always be obvious or blatant, but the regularity with which such incidents occur would lead one to believe so, like the stealing accusation. Was that racially driven or was that just a simple misunderstanding? You don't really know, but I think that's just part and parcel of Hong Kong. You just don't know if it's actually because of that or not. It just seems coincidental when it happens to you so often. It's like, you know, there's times in maybe when I was in university. Securing housing was always an issue for Stephen's parents too. Landlords would immediately reject his family upon finding out they were Indian. Real estate agents would tell them directly that it would be extremely difficult to find them an apartment because of their ethnicity. As a result of those experiences, Stephen now relies on his fiancée, a mainland-born Hong Konger, to do the talking, at least in the initial stages. Stephen says such treatment from others around him is something he's used to after 26 years in Hong Kong. Growing up in Hong Kong, with the vast majority of the city's population being ethnic Chinese, 
he quickly learned that his culture was not quite accepted by some. It was the same experience even in the international school he attended, despite greater diversity there than in local schools. He says, Bringing Indian food to school, that quickly became a point of bullying almost, you know, where just because it smelled a bit more, so you almost very quickly try to assimilate yourself and try to move away from all the things that kind of identify you as what I guess is quote-unquote Indian in, uh, in Hong Kong. So He also told the Straits Times that sometimes, just because of his skin color and where he was born, he's questioned by friends or acquaintances about the systemic rape culture in India to the tune of, why do you guys always do such things? I'm like the spokesperson for 1.2 billion people of India. <laughs> I think after a while it becomes almost comical because it's just a bit silly that, you know, how, how people think and how you're going to get grouped into it. Over time to fit in, Stephen made changes to his habits from the way he eats to what he calls his mother. Where he used to be happy to use his hands, he now uses only cutlery. His mother, whom he called Amma when he was a boy, he now calls Mum. Bit by bit, transforming himself into what he calls a third culture kid. Neither here nor there, trying so hard to fit in, and yet not fully accepted. Because you've assimilated yourself so much that you know, the Indian culture really isn't there. And then the, the local culture as well, because you're not the, the same skin color or whatever else, then you're treated a bit more differently. You're listening to the Invisible Asia podcast series. Do follow all nine episodes of Invisible Asia over the next few weeks on the Straits Times podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. Now, Back to our Invisible Asia series. The issue of discrimination plagues cities around the world. In some other places, acts of discrimination can prove far more damaging or deadly. Comparatively, the problem in Hong Kong appears more subtle. On a daily basis, Stephen experiences microaggressions. But ethnic minorities aren't the only groups that face such treatment in Hong Kong. Even those among the city's ethnic majority can feel discriminated against. Ask Amy Zhang. Amy has lived in Hong Kong for 14 years. Native to Nanjing in China's eastern Jiangsu province, she moved to Hong Kong to further her studies in 2007. Today, the 33-year-old banker has settled in a city with her husband, also a mainlander, and their two-year-old son. For years, Hong Kong has been their home. Amy remembers a time when people from mainland China were more accepted in Hong Kong. When she first arrived in the city, her peers in university would go out of their way to help mainland students like her settle down in their new home. Despite occasionally having differing views, she and her local peers enjoyed very positive interactions. Amy says things are different now. Now, all she senses from local Hong Kong people in their interactions with mainlanders is a seething resentment. This bitterness against people from mainland China has intensified over the last five years, fueled by the mainland tourism boom and further aggravated by the political situation and unrest in the city in 2019. 
Although mainlanders and the majority of the locals are all ethnic Chinese, it's as if an invisible barrier segregates them by virtue of where they're from. Amy says, "They say, 'Oh, Chinese people are not polite. Chinese people are rude.' But I think most of them, even the rural area people, are still kind. They're just not as well educated as the highly paid people." Over the years. Some of the badly behaved mainland Chinese people in Hong Kong have been caught on camera, and the video clips spread widely across social media, sparking outrage and disgust. Amy explains that this lack of education and exposure among the less well-heeled mainlanders potentially contributed to some of the poor habits they brought with them to the city. But Hong Kongers take these as an example of all mainlanders. To add to the resentment, Amy says some wealthy mainlanders do snap up precious properties in Hong Kong, which are already in short demand for the locals. For the poor, they don't have a good life. They don't have wage increase. They cannot afford a property, and so they all blame everything on China and mainland Chinese. But I think there are fundamental economic reasons for this situation in Hong Kong, like the few families. The few real estate companies controlling the economy—they are the reasons the property prices are high. Advocacy group Hong Kong Unison says the problem of discrimination in Hong Kong has indeed worsened over the years. The group's executive director Phyllis Chung attributes this largely to the city's education policies. Prior to the 1997 handover, in which Britain returned sovereignty of Hong Kong to China. Chinese and English were the official languages in the city, but post 1997, with schools increasingly encouraged to place greater emphasis on the mother tongue, English ceased to be the language of instruction in most local schools, replaced instead by Putonghua or Cantonese. Ms. Chong says this tended to disadvantage ethnic minority students who did not have a good grasp of Chinese. Ms. Chong says local Hong Kong schools used to be even more racially segregated, until her advocacy group lobbied for more funding to accommodate non-Chinese-speaking students in more schools across the city. Before 2014, there were only about 30 schools out of a thousand primary and secondary schools that have ethnic minority students. And back then, these schools would have about 80 percent, 90 percent of children of different colors. But you don't see Chinese there. You see mostly Indians, Pakistanis, Nepalese, Filipinos, and some Indonesians. So it's very racially segregated that system. So if you don't grow up between 1997 and 2014, right? If you don't grow up with、um, minorities or racial minorities in your school, or as a classmate, you don't know them, you don't understand them, and so they become like outsiders and aliens. Hong Konger Keith Chan agrees that the journey towards eliminating discrimination. Starts from education. The 29-year-old financial consultant was born and bred in Hong Kong. He feels, however, that Hong Kong society has become more accepting of most people from different races, countries, and backgrounds in recent years, particularly after the 2019 unrest. Keith says. Many people in Hong Kong. Be they from India, the Philippines, or elsewhere, 
Even though we are different ethnicities, different races, they all came about in support of our people here. They spoke up for us, defended our ways, and lobbied for Cantonese not to be replaced by Putonghua and for Hong Kong to retain its own way of life. So the locals now feel more friendly towards them. With the exception of mainlanders, Keith says that when mainlanders come to Hong Kong, they tend to think differently. He explains that there's a natural inclination for mainlanders to want to replace Hong Kong's local cultures with their own, because Hong Kong is part of China. For example, when the mainlanders come to Hong Kong, they feel that there's no necessity at all for them to pick up the local Cantonese language. Rather, they feel that we, the locals, should learn Putonghua in order to understand them. They feel that they have no need to make any effort at all to try to communicate with us by learning our language. You should respect the norms in Hong Kong. For instance, you should not spit in public. You should queue up for things and avoid shouting. You shouldn't be using your ways to replace the norms in Hong Kong. But many of the mainlanders do that. If Keith's perspective reflects the broader local sentiment, it looks like mainland Chinese people still have a long way to go if they want to gain acceptance from the local community in Hong Kong. Meanwhile, Stephen, the India-born Hong Konger, has, in his own way, come to terms with his conflicting feelings. On the one hand, he loves Hong Kong as his home city because it's where he was raised. On the other, he still has that nagging feeling every now and then that he's being edged out because he is somehow different. Stephen says, Every aspect of yourself has been defined by the city you've grown up in, but then you still can't call yourself a Hong Konger even though I've been here for 26 years. You've been listening to Invisible Asia. This episode is on Hong Kong's silent outsiders, and I'm your narrator, Janing Tan. Do check out the full story by Claire Huang in The Straits Times. We have a link in our podcast text description below. And don't forget to subscribe to The Straits Times podcast channel on your favorite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts for the next episode of Invisible Asia. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.